How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping that you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day but especially the joy you feel when you share God's love with others. And uh, we all have the opportunity to do that in these days. And our program tonight is going to talk about about sin and how might that fit into what's happening in the world. It comes down to the fact that when we live our life, we either turn to God or we turn away from God. There's there may be a stage of in-between, but there's always a kind of a leaning one direction or another that we're either turning away from God or to God. And when we turn away from God, it's usually because of sin. Not not always, We, but certainly sin is a very important factor. And um, that relates then to what is happening in today's world. We'll talk more about that. But as we do each week, I'd like to begin our program with a story that is based on faith and formed with imagination. A woman who was weeping came to Jesus. Master, she said, I am a sinful woman. Dry your tears. Dry your tears, Jesus replied. But she continued to cry and said, You have not heard me. I am a sinful woman. Again I say, woman, dry your tears. Jesus repeated. John and Peter helped the woman up. Jesus said to her, Come sit with me. No, she answered, for I will taint you. Jesus shook his head and asked, Woman, have you no faith? Have you no faith? And then he raised his hand, and Peter and John knew that he wished to be alone with the woman. She said, Master, I have seen you cast the evil one out of many people. I come to you with a sorrowful heart, for I know that I am possessed with all the evils of the world. And then all at once she began to laugh and laugh and laugh even more. Jesus raised his hand and said, In the name of the Father, I command this evil to come forth from this woman. The woman began to laugh even harder. Jesus continued, Again I say, leave and do not return. And again the woman began to laugh even harder and mocked Jesus with shouts of unspeakable words. And Jesus said firmly, In the name of my Father I say, leave this woman 
Let her heart become pure, her mind become clear, and let her soul become free of your clutches. The woman fell to the ground and began to weep. But this time Jesus did not help her up until she was spent. And then, when there were no more tears and the weeping had stopped, Jesus helped her up and said, Woman, go and sin no more. She looked into Jesus' eyes and said, Master, what have I done to deserve this? Jesus shook his head and said, Woman, woman, there is much that we do not understand. But I tell you this, go in peace and thank the Father. Sin no more. Have an open heart and mind. When you see evil, curse it. When you hear evil words, deafen your ears. When you see evil, call out to the Heavenly Father. The woman looked at Jesus and slowly a tear began to form in her eyes. She bent down and kissed his hand and said, Truly, truly, you are the light of the world. Jesus responded, Let no darkness ever cloud your path. A story of faith and imagination. Our guest this evening writes in his book titled, Overcoming the Evil Within, the Reality of Sin, and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy. He writes, Sin is real. You want proof? Look no further than some of the very first words spoken by both Jesus Christ and St. John the Baptist in the Gospels. Quote, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Close hand from Matthew. Then in Luke, we are told that John the Baptist went about, quote, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, close quote. And after Christ rose from the dead, he appeared to the apostles and said, quote, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in my name to all nations. And our guest writes, sin and repentance are essential to the gospel. As soon as Jesus sent out his apostles in pairs to spread the good news of salvation, quote, they went out and preached that men should repent, close quote. And on Pentecost, as the church was born, Peter preached repentance to the crowds, saying, quote, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, close quote. Even the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, reports the Lord saying, be zealous and repent. The point is clear. Sin is real. And the need for repentance is real. But this message isn't about anger or deprivation. It is tied to the great message of salvation offered through Jesus Christ, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, who took on a human nature just like ours and was tempted in every way but did not sin. Unfortunately, today, we do not hear as much emphasis placed on sin and repentance. There are very few things that must please the devil more than secular humanism, blinding our culture to the reality of sin and the necessity of turning back to God. After all, if entire societies forget about sin and its nature and its ability to wreak havoc upon marriages, families, and individuals— upon churches and their ministries, and even upon governments 
The devil clearly has the upper hand. We're going to end there. We could read much more, and we'll be reading more from the book as we continue this evening. But our our guest this evening is Father uh, Wade Menezes, and uh, he is a member of the Fathers of Mercy, which is a missionary preaching religious congregation based in Kentucky. He is the assistant general of this congregation and has been a contributing editor for many Catholic periodicals and has hosted several series for the Eternal Word television network, EWTN. Father Wade Menezes, welcome to Amplify. Thank you, Father Ron. It's great to be with you this evening, and thank you for the invitation. Whenever I saw your picture, you're such a young man, yet you have the title Assistant General of your congregation. Tell us a little bit about it, about the missionary preaching congregation, the Fathers of Mercy. Well, we were founded in 1808 uh, in the immediate aftermath of the French Revolution in Lyon, France, uh, in an effort to form a mission band to bring people back to practicing their Catholic faith throughout the country. And the original group of Fathers of Mercy, all diocesan men, uh, had such success in preaching the week-long parish mission to bring the people back that um, several bishops asked us to continue on with the missionary itinerant preaching effort, traveling and preaching effort, to continue the missions. And that's how we were born. Ah, glad to hear more about it. I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with your congregation, uh, certainly uh, with the missionary preaching that is going on. I was head of our mission office for a number of years and uh, know the importance of, of that. Yeah, we're strictly in the U.S. now as far as where our members are at. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we preach throughout the United States, Canada, and Australia, and to other countries as we're called. For example, we've preached in Scotland. We've preached in India to Mother Teresa's sisters. We also preach retreats as well as parish missions, conferences and the like, mother-daughter retreats, father-son retreats. And uh, your listeners can go to fathersofmercy.com and find out more about the Fathers of Mercy, including uh, our come-and-see weekends for uh, men who might be discerning a possible priestly vocation Mm. with an active missionary preaching apostolate. Thank you. Um, You take a few more pages. It's not right at the very beginning of the book, but how do you define sin? It's kind of the platform for us tonight. Define or, or describe it. Whatever is 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 best for you. You know, my my preaching uh, springboards right from the Universal Catechism, which itself is a virtual compendium of sacred scripture, tradition, and the magisterium, the teaching office of the Church which itself is rooted or grounded in the Apostolic College of the Apostles. And so I I springboard right from the bosom of Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ. And number 1849 in the Catechism tells us very clearly, Father Ron, that um, sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience. It is a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. And it has been defined by St. Augustine as a thought, word, or deed that goes against that human solidarity. And uh, that's, that's the very definition of sin, right, right out of the Catechism. So um, sin hurts, sin wounds. Uh, not only the individual committing it, whether mortal or venial, 
but also other uh, facets or aspects of the created world around us, found namely in the four consequences or categorical consequences of sin, which are personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic. And we can talk about those in a little bit, but, but this has been the perennial teaching of the Church based on the three-legged stool of uh, sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. And what prompted me, uh, Father Ron, to, to write the book is really twofold. Uh, first of all, it dawned on me that, that we have a wonderful patrimony in our Catholic faith of very good, solid, wonderful books on the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation, the tribunal of mercy. But we don't have a, a wide patrimony of, of books on sin, sin per se. What is it? Uh, it's devastating consequences. It goes unchecked in a person's life, etc. So with this book, Overcoming the Evil Within, uh, the Reality of Sin, and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy, I wanted to add to that patrimony of, of our catalog of books on sin per se. And secondly, this book, which comes out now in 2020, in March of 2020, a couple months back, it really uh, continues the theme of being eternity-minded, which I wrote about in my first book from late 2017 titled The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell which is a, a catechetical look, again, springboarding from the universal catechism, on the Church's eschatology, uh, from the Greek word eschaton, which means the last things. And when we talk about the four last things of the Church's eschatology, we're talking about death, judgment, heaven, and hell, four last things, three of which will apply to each and every individual human person, death, judgment, heaven, or hell. So four last things, but three which apply to each one of us. And in that book, I talk about the importance of being eternity-minded, living your life in such a way that you are eternity-minded. And I don't mean that in a morose, uh, morbid, or macabre kind of way, being eternity-minded like focusing on death all the time. No, not at all. But being eternity-minded with a view or a focus to the eternal beatitude that awaits us, uh, the, beatific, the, the, the beatific vision that awaits us following this average of 78 years, those are the latest longevity statistics for those of us living in the West, and uh, how we live the, this 78 years um, uh, says a lot about our eternity, which is forever. And uh, I wanted the, the theme of eternity-mindedness, living life in such a way that one is eternity-minded on a continuum, to continue now from my book on the four last things from 2017, to continue now in this book titled Overcoming the Evil Within now in 2020. And if um, someone came up to you and asked you for what you thought was happening in the world today, um the evil that exists in the world today through the coronavirus. Would you see any connection between your book, Overcoming the Evil Within, uh, as being a way that could help in any way with people to understand what is happening, yeah. not directly, but certainly in an important way? Yeah, I, I think you say that well, not directly, but yet in an important way that helps us to see the Christian worldview uh, as applied to the pandemic. You know, I find it interesting that, um, that currently the world uh, is not suffering from the fallout of nuclear war. It's not suffering from a string of simultaneous earthquakes across the globe on different continents happening at the same time. 
uh, nor is it suffering from a series of, of uh, simultaneous and extreme weather patterns, again, on several continents at the same time. No. Uh, rather, the, the world, again, globally, is suffering from an illness pandemic that is precisely attacking what? The human body, quote, end quote, the body. Uh, the human body of the human person. Uh, and, and remember, the human person is the only creature in the corporeal, physical world that is made in God's own image and likeness, to quote Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. So all that said, Father Ron, how many social ills born out of today's modernistic, secularistic culture, and, you know, as Pope Benedict XVI, the Emeritus, would say, uh, as well as Pope Francis, the relativistic culture, um, how many social ills are born out of this modern-day culture that attack directly what? That's right, the body, the innate dignity of the human person, whether it's abortion or euthanasia, um, human cloning, unnatural marriage, broken families, fatherless families, uh, clerical abuse scandals uh, involving our own clerics, um, recreational drug abuse, uh, prescription drug abuse, Internet pornography, uh, human trafficking, uh, the homeless crisis, all these social ills um, are attacking directly the body. And so ontologically, ontologically, I think when we look at the four categorical consequences of sin as taught by the Church in paragraph number 1469 of the Catechism, uh, again, the personal, the social, the ecclesial, and the cosmic consequences of sin. Uh, we can we can make a, uh, a connection here. That's not the direct cause we could say, but it surely is showing itself indirectly as as a cause. You know, and then also even even just the culture of death is identified by Saint Pope John Paul II you know, genocide, uh, dictators deliberately murdering millions of civilians, um, terrorism, promoting such things as public beheadings and the attacking of hundreds and even thousands of innocent lives unprovoked, uh, suicide attacks, we could say, you know, persons willfully ending their lives by purposely taking the lives of others in the most violent of ways and usually in highly populated areas like marketplaces or airports. Um, the increase and in spread of nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons, the grave injustice of inadequate food distribution to the poorer countries. Uh, again, uh, pornography now is, is a multi-billion, that's with a B, right. a Let multi-billion dollar industry across the globe that has led to such things as human trafficking and the promotion of the slave and sex trade, okay, let me, especially let me, among women and children. All right, let me jump in. We need to take this break, and then we'll be back. Welcome back to Amplify on KDK here in Pittsburgh with Father Wade Menezes. We're talking about his book, Overcoming the Evil Within. Father, I, did you want to finish a thought that you were making before we, we broke? Yeah, just giving some, some uh, main categories of the modern-day culture of death is identified by now St. Pope John Paul II. Uh, you know, pornography growing into a multi-billion dollar industry across the globe, which has led to such things as human trafficking and the promotion of the slave and sex trades, especially among women and children. And then also the increase of violent crime and also violent sexual crime, because those are two separate categories. You can have a violent crime that's non-sexual and, and a violent crime that is sexual. It's interesting, Father Ron, I had a 
uh, parish mission that I gave one time where the pastor happened to also be the um, exorcist of the diocese. And he said, you know, it's, it's my personal opinion, he said, that wherever there is a violent sexual crime that involved a death of the victim, uh, you can bet, he said, in my opinion, that in the 90 percentile we're talking of demonic possession or oppression or obsession uh, by the perpetrator of the crime. You know, and that, that's very haunting. Uh, there's also Internet crime, which has uh, increased to include such things as identity theft, uh, embezzlement, and fraud on a huge scale, um, all of which have greed as their root source and which have often targeted who the most, the most and that is the elderly. Uh, so the elderly are, are directly uh, affected by by uh, computer hacking and internet crime and embezzlement and the like. So you know all these things ultimately attack the human person directly, the body directly, the body soul compositeness directly of the human person. You know, as Catholic Christians, we don't we believe that that we don't have bodies, we are bodies, and we don't have souls, we are souls. This is how intimate and intricate the body-soul compositeness is in the human person. And, uh, and, and we're the only creature made in God's image and likeness in the, in the physical corporeal world. And uh, the, the devil wants nothing more than to attack that dignity of the human person. All right, let's amplify a little bit on um, what you've, uh, you've talked about. Uh, in, your, in your book, you, you, you speak about how we don't hear as much today as we have in the past on the topic of sin and repentance, and maybe because secular humanism is blinding our culture to the reality of sin and the need to turn back to God, we have to realize that uh, there's some sense in which we are all sinners and we need to be concerned about this, our state of living, our present state of living. An example you offer there is one of St. Augustine and how he turned from a life of real sin uh, turned back fully uh, to God and and learned uh, without a doubt from the way he used to live with the help of his mother's prayers. And uh, we need to do the same thing, that um, uh, there is a, a sense in which original sin has darkened our intellect and weakened our will, you write about. And uh, let's let's approach it this way. What does it mean to say that God dwells within us, to begin there, and if if you're able to uh, sort of speak about them together, otherwise we could spend the rest of the program on these on these few questions. What does it mean yeah. to say, first of all, that God dwells within us, and while at the same time we know, as you just said, that evil can dwell within us, and what harm can that cause? But then you write about um, the relationship that we're capable of having with God, which, which goes back to God dwelling within us, you also right. write about how sin can affect our freedom as children of God. And so it isn't just that evil dwells within us, but uh, real harm can be caused. Right. That's correct. And it is a lot of material to cover. And, and I wanted to write the book in, in, in simple layman's terms from a, just a catechetical springboard from the catechism. And uh, I hope I achieved that. I, I've been did. getting really good feedback. You know, and yes. before I answer your question directly, I, I want to make it clear that I, I wrote the book primarily for individuals seeking to overcome the shame of sin, the habitual uh, occurrence in their life of sin, um, anyone desiring the unending mercy of God in their life and for themselves to embrace that unending mercy. 
I've written the book for Catholic schools, for principals, teachers, and parents. I've written it for diocesan life ministries personnel and to be the Book of the Month Club uh, book uh, at parishes. I've written it for confirmation class students, uh, which in this country is predominantly between eighth grade and, and sophomore year in high school, so 13 to 15 years of age. I've written the book for youth and young adult leaders in parishes, and also for college and post-college students. So there's a large array there, but we're all called to live our lives in such a way that in this eternity-mindedness, we are seeking to be close to God and have Him indwelling within us. And that's primarily, Father Ron, to answer your question directly, through the great gift of His sanctifying grace. Now, grace is the free and undeserved gift that God gives to us to respond to our vocation as His adopted children, His sons and daughters, whether one be married, single, or a consecrated priest, brother, or sister, doctor, farmer, lawyer, homeschooling mother of six, a divorced dad of four, striving to live a chaste life, it doesn't matter. A retired grandparent, working grandparent, recently widowed grandparent, high school student, middle school student, um, even the, the elementary school student who's attained the age of reason around age seven, where they can begin to make moral choices. And we have a whole host of young canonized saints in the church who uh, had a great, great keen awareness of the presence of God in their life at a very, very young age. In some cases, like with Dominic Savio and Maria Goretti, even before the age of reason, and St. Therese, she wanted to receive Holy Communion, her first Holy Communion, make her first Holy Communion before the age of seven. So uh, God's sanctifying grace, uh, with that, he shares his divine life and friendship with us, as a habitual gift that is not lost until one commits a mortal sin. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So his sanctifying grace is a stable and supernatural disposition that enables the soul to live with God and to act by his love. And it's only lost through uh, mortal sin. And what is mortal sin? But, but three parts of, of one whole. Uh, grave matter, fullness of knowledge that it's grave matter, and done with deliberate consent of one's will anyway. A grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of the will. This is the, the time-honored teaching of the Church, again, based on Scripture, tradition, and the magisterium. Um, if, if one or two of those three elements of the mortal sin is missing, you have a venial sin. Now, venial sin does not destroy sanctifying grace from operating in the soul, but it does wound it. It constricts it. So, for example, I may not grow in the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit as rapidly as I would otherwise if I would have remained in the state of sanctifying grace. Uh, the twelve fruits of the Holy Spirit are restricted as well uh, if I commit venial sin. But with mortal sin, these are lost and, until we confess the mortal sin, and then we can regain God's sanctifying grace. Now, the other grace here, now there's, there's multiple graces, in, but they fall under two parent categories. The second parent category of grace is actual grace. Now, we can receive an actual grace from God um, while in a state of mortal sin, because grace is always his gratuitous gift, even with sanctifying grace. Um, and it's often going to be an actual grace received from God that prompts us, while in a state of mortal sin, to want to get back to confession, for example. So the example I give to my young people when I preach to them is this, my college-age students is this. You have a, a young man, a cradle Catholic, who practiced the faith with his family all the way through his senior year of high school. In his first couple years of college, he falls away from the church. 
and he gets himself in an illicit relationship with a young woman. Uh, the sin of fornication is taking place, and now because of fornication, contraception is taking place, maybe even a chemically induced abortion, unbeknownst to either of them, because it happens so early on after the conception. It, 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 it sin creates a proclivity to further sin. Well, he's fallen away from the sacraments. He's fallen away from Sunday Mass, the Eucharist. He's surely fallen away from the sacrament of confession. It's been two years since he's gone. And one day he's there at the local supermarket near the college campus, and he's purchasing his groceries there for his dorm room, picking up a few items for his dorm room and some laundry detergent. And he's on aisle 22 of the supermarket with his grocery cart, and he makes the corner into aisle 23. And as soon as he makes the corner into aisle 23 to get some laundry detergent, as soon as he makes the corner from aisle 22 into aisle 23 of the supermarket, lo and behold, there's Father Ron Langwin buying his own laundry detergent standing there in his clerics, and the young man sees him. That's an actual grace received while in a state of mortal sin. God prompting that young man to run into a priest, to prompt the young man to want to make a good, holy, reverent confession, has nothing to do with Father Ron, other than the fact that he's in the office of the priesthood. God's using Father Ron as a visual image to bring the young man back. And so, my point is, sanctifying grace is not lost until mortal sin is committed, and it only takes one. Uh, actual grace um, can be received whether in a state of sanctifying grace or not in a state of sanctifying grace, meaning that it can still be received even after mortal sin. So our goal is to stay in a state of sanctifying grace. And I like to remind my listeners when I preach, Father Ron, you know, it's very, very, very possible to stop at any given point of the day whether you're shopping at the supermarket, whether you're driving to work, whether you're uh, getting your rosary walk in in your neighborhood, uh, whether you're cooking supper, whether you're working on your car, whatever it is, it's very possible to stop at any given point of the day and say to your inmost heart of hearts and mean it to say this, you know what? To the best of my sincerest of knowledge, I'm not aware of any mortal sin. I'm not aware of any mortal sin that I've committed. If you can say that and mean it, you have the moral certitude that you are operative in a state of sanctifying grace and thereby have the seven gifts and 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit working in you. Now that's God working in a person's life. This yes. is living eternity-minded. And what are you know the, those seven gifts of the Holy Spirit? Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. How about the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we garner from Galatians 5? Charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. Now, you might live these traits on a natural level, but imagine living them on a supernatural level with God's sanctifying grace in your life. And again, Father Ron, it, 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 it doesn't play favorites. This is a message for singles, for marrieds, for consecrated priests, brothers, sisters, doctors, farmers, lawyers, homeschooling mothers of six, uh, the divorced dad of four striving to live a chaste life, the college student uh, striving to live a, a good, upright life who only practices chaste courtship because he knows his baptism and his confirmation, that is to say his sacrament of baptism, his sacrament of confirmation calls him to practice chaste courtship while in college. 
uh, sustained by Sunday Eucharist, maybe even once or twice during weekday Mass in the middle of the week. Maybe he catches a Wednesday evening Mass in between classes um, and sustained by monthly confession. Mm -hmm. This is the call to holiness. This is wanting to shine the light of Christ for others right where you are. You know, Cardinal Newman, who's recently canonized uh, from October of 2019 by Pope Francis, uh, it was uh, Cardinal Newman who said, we each have a sphere of influence in which to influence. So as an itinerant missionary preacher who travels throughout the United States and Canada and Australia to preach missions and retreats and conferences, my sphere of influence is going to be different from the homeschooling mother of three, but hers is no less important than mine. Her sphere of influence as a homeschooling mom is just as important as my sphere of influence is. And this is the message to get out. Right. You are right about the fact that we uh, really can't grasp God's mercy. Um, we can reflect on it. We really can't fully understand it. From the Book of Wisdom, we hear God did not make death and does not delight in the death of the living. And in your book, you you write about in the sense that, uh, in what sense the culture of death is is a culture of sin, and how um, we can convince how can we convince a hardened sinner that he or she can come back to God? What are some of the ways that we choose for against God each day? Again, these are things that you write about in your book overcome the evil within, but then you also write about how does Satan benefit from our sins? On a talk show, that becomes a a pretty active question. What? How does Satan benefit from our sins? And the other way uh, maybe you said is you pose the question, how can the devil sometimes tell us lies precisely by telling the truth. So those two questions that would be great for any talk show host, how yeah. does Satan benefit from our sins and how can the devil sometimes tell us lies precisely by telling us the truth? Well, it's the Church's constant teaching that veritable structures of sin, for example, abortion being enshrined in the courts, uh, veritable structures of sin all stem from what? First and foremost, personal sin of the individual person. So if Satan can escalate the level of personal sin with individuals, he can create veritable structures of sin. And uh, John Paul II, in his landmark apostolic exhortation uh, from the mid-1980s, Reconciliatio et Penitentia, Reconciliation and Penance, which is really a treatise on the beautiful tribunal of mercy, holy confession, the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, he, he talks about this very movement from personal sin to veritable structures of sin. And, and we see that, for example, in, in the, the litany of the culture of death that I just shared earlier on, on the show. One thing leads to another. Number uh, 1865 of the Catechism uh, tells us very forthrightly that, that, for example, unchecked venial sins can lead us into mortal sin if, it, if the venial sin goes unchecked with the individual. So this is another way that Satan wins with the individual. Uh, 1865, the Catechism tells us, quote, sin creates a proclivity to further sin. It engenders vice by repetition of the same acts. This results in perverse inclinations which cloud human conscience and corrupts the concrete judgment between good and evil. Thus, sin tends to reproduce itself and reinforce itself in a person's life if it goes unchecked. But it can never destroy the moral root of the person. 
That's how that paragraph ends. So, so we can always turn back to God, okay? And that's where Satan loses. Oh, oh, oh death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting that we hear during the Easter season? Uh, we can always turn back to God, and this brings us to his mercy. Uh, I'm often asked what mercy is, and I like to quote Divus in Misericordia, John Paul II's uh, encyclical on God's mercy. He says, mercy is who God is. It's love's second name. God is more interested in our future than in our past. He's more interested in the kind of person we can yet become than in the kind of person we used to be. While indeed taking our sin seriously, no doubt, whether mortal or venial sin, God never, ever, ever takes those sins as the last word. Why? Because he knows he's made us in his image and likeness. He knows he calls us constantly to a life of his sanctifying grace. And he knows he is our God, who is bigger than any sin we might ever commit, even the most hideous and wicked mortal sin. God's mercy is bigger than that. So, yeah, Satan can, can benefit and, and can run ahead of the ball with sin for those of us who leave sin go unchecked in our lives, because it can create from the personal level veritable social structures of sin, and then it can also lead from venial sin to mortal sin in the person's life. Now, how can Satan uh, lead us into sin by sometimes telling us the truth? I give a, several examples in the book, but for one example is, you know, if, if your passions are not checked where the sexual faculty is concerned and, and you, you, you're not level in your passions, you, your passions, emotions, and feelings are out of check there, and you're not able to control yourself, and you're, you're watching a, a television show that has an, an imprudent scene of, of a couple that it's implied they're outside of marriage and it, it shouldn't be watched, um, Satan tells you and whispers in your ear, oh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. A commercial will come on in just a few seconds. Uh, this scene will only last a few seconds, and then a commercial will come on. No need to change the channel. No need to change the channel. Well, true enough, right? Uh, the scene will end in a few seconds. True enough, right? A, com- a commercial will come on. Okay, these are all truths, okay? Uh, you know, in the book of Genesis, he tells our, our, our first parents that their eyes will be opened if they eat of the, of the fruit of, from the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. Well, he was telling the truth, that their, their eyes would be open to sin. What he didn't tell them is that sin would be ushered in through that act, and the fall of man would be ushered in through that act of disobedience of eating the fruit. So Satan often pulls us into, into sin by first telling us truths about the scenario in question. That, that's my point that I make in the book. And um, other things you write about is um, sin and uh, whether or not it's always a personal act, uh, why some people are afraid to uh, confess their sins. Um, yeah. You you have yeah, a lot that's... of quotes of uh, Sister Faustina, and if you'll see, I'm going to kind of avoid those tonight, only because that's my topic next week. So, sure, sure. So okay. the... we got plenty to talk about otherwise. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, and then, you know, uh, well, again, well, let me, I, no, don't, I, get I talk... st- don't get started on a thought. Because we're gonna we're gonna be breaking in just uh, thirty seconds. Where you write, many of the church fathers note that mercy is God's greatest attribute. What a gift we have in God's mercy! Indeed, we can say that mercy is who God is. It's love's second name because God is more interested in our future than in our past. So we're gonna take this break, and then we will be right back. <laughs> 